Can I ask you to do something today? Can I ask you to open your Bibles and turn them to Isaiah chapter 1? So this will be uh, close to the middle of your Bible. And before we do our time of reading Scripture, I want to remind us of something extremely important. I don't take for granted that we have this front, kind of front and center on our mind. I want to remind us that God has something to say to people constantly. So God is speaking. He is not silent. And I, I want to take his word seriously. I asked you to open to Isaiah because years ago there was a message given to a prophet named Isaiah. God gave him a vision, which was a direct supernatural revelation that came to him. And yet I it's more than just for Isaiah and the people of that day. See, the message uh, to Isaiah has been preserved. I don't know if you realize this, but even Jesus, who we've sung about this morning, he referenced Isaiah a lot. He quoted Isaiah. And, and Christians for years have looked at Isaiah and found God speaking to them in this book. I just want to be a vehicle of the message today because I, I do believe God will use what Isaiah wrote to show us some things, and I want to just draw our attention to an urgent need, and that is what we need now. That's going to be the series that's going to be kind of the next few weeks of what do we need now, and particularly Isaiah is going to describe, well, not just his times, but our times, and we're going to need, we're going to recognize our need today for some self-awareness What's going on with our lives? How is it working? Where is it right? Where is it what God wants? Where is God taking his place in our life? And, and let me just warn you of something that I think is critical for you to, to just be aware of, is we have this propensity to be distracted and think of a million things going on. We have so many things that can pull our attention away, even from important or even semi-important things. We have this, this app or we can channel surf, or I can go to Netflix, or I can find out who's updated what, or I can check out this app. And in the midst of that, even in the next few moments, you could be so distracted you might miss what God has to say to you. I, yet I also find there's another way I listen where I'm very attentive. So if I'm in the hospital, whether it's my own health or I'm with someone that I love, someone that matters to me, and I know that there is a doctor, a specialist, a surgeon that may come in in just a few moments, and I know that she or he will have words to tell me about results that they found or a game plan going forward or the next steps. Even if I'm a little nervous of what may come next, I'm very eager. I'm taking in every single word of what they might say. That's a different way of listening. That's the way I want us to listen to God's Word this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Tariq to come. He's going to read a, the first four verses, and then he's going to skip down to verse, uh, I think, verse 15 or so, uh, verse 15 or 16 from Isaiah 1. Let's read, hear God's Word. Good morning. Isaiah 1, 1 through 4. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, 
kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people of Latin, sorry, with iniquity, offspring, and evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have utterly estranged. They are utterly estranged. Isaiah 1, 16 through 20. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from, bef from before my evil eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They shall be red like crimson, and they shall be wool, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you for reading. If you could keep your Bible open or on, however that may work for you. Do you notice verse 2? It's kind of the first words out of the gate of this vision that Isaiah saw. Hear, O heavens. Give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. The wording is similar in that time of being called into a courtroom. It's like all rise. The king of kings is in session. Witnesses are drawn. What witnesses are they? They're the witnesses of heaven and earth. And one thing about creation is it's going to tell the truth. It's going to be a reliable witness as to what's going on. It's seen everything. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And the Lord says this, children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. It's almost as if the Lord is saying, of all people, like this is not, these aren't my clients that have disregarded me. These aren't contract workers that I hired for a, a task. These are my children. I went and redeemed them out of Egypt. I, I, I bought them. They are my sons and my daughters. I've cared for them all this time, and, and they have turned their back on me. And even as the description goes forward, it's like something's very wrong. He's addressing people that are ignorant. Look at verse 3. It says, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel doesn't know. My people do not understand. They don't know, and that word is much more than just head recognition. It's, it's an understanding that there's something relationally that's broken between God and His people, so much so that there's, they're pursuing a lifestyle, and they've turned their back on God. They don't understand. They're spiritually not reading the things. They're not discerning things accurately. This got my attention because if God can say to Israel, you don't know, you don't understand, you're living in ignorance, then maybe he has the same thing to tell Curtis today. Maybe there are things that I'm not aware of. Maybe there are things that I've missed. Maybe I haven't realized my own condition before the Lord. And so the Lord begins to spell this out through the message of Isaiah. Did you see verse 4, the words that were used? Ah, sinful nation. A people that are just laden or like iniquity is just bearing down on them. 
says that they are children who deal corruptly, offspring of evildoers. It's interesting, he's not just addressing us individually, which I, I would hear that like, and think that would be words we need to hear individually and personally, but it's kind of like he's addressing a community, a city who has messed up here, a, a city that, because our actions are never just between us and the Lord, they affect other people, they impact other people, and so he's addressing you individually and me individually, but he's also addressing us as a group. And we hear from the Lord, and this is where things stand. God seems very emotionally vested in in telling his people where they are. He says, you are a sinning nation. You are constantly missing the target. You are a, a people that have iniquity, and iniquity more, is more than just your behavior. It's also your character and your nature. And he says, you're evildoers. You are corrupt. You're polluted. You're ruined. And I hear those words, and I go, I, I don't know that I like to use those words when describing myself. Sinful, rebellious iniquity just even as I read the first few verses of Isaiah, I think, man, I seem to have a different vocabulary than Isaiah has. I'm much, more, I'm much less inclined to use the word iniquity and rebellion and corrupt. I opt for things that are a lot milder than that. So it's not hard for me to talk about something that I did that's inappropriate or I view some things as just mistakes. Or yeah, you know, there were some slip-ups that I've made. Or yeah, I mean, I definitely have issues. Or I'm sorry, I misspoke. Or that was just a, that was a, a lapse in judgment. Or ah, it's a misunderstanding. Or I, I, I wasn't being the best version of myself. Those labels come to me very, very quickly. And I'm just, I see, I call things differently than God lets me know that what, what in reality they are. I think this is telling, and I think it reveals something very important, and that's a tendency we have to dismiss things in our life as not that bad. A tendency we have to dismiss things in our life it's not that bad. We hear the words of Isaiah, we cringe a little bit, like, man, I'm not really toxic. I'm not, I mean, like, my life's not polluted. I'm not corrupt. I, do we need to be that hard on ourselves? And we could even hear Isaiah and go, I'm not, I'm not seeing that in my life. Is it really that bad? I wonder if Isaiah, the message from the Lord, anticipates how we might protest, and he points us to well, you want to know if it's that bad? Look at the results. Look at the consequences of your life. Because right there in verse 5, he begins to unpack some of the consequences that are a result of this sinning and this iniquity and this corruption. Do you hear God speaking? He says, why, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? You don't think it's that bad? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it. Do you not see their bruises and sores and raw wounds? And they're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. No, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate, overthrown by foreigners. Yeah, you and I might have a tendency to dismiss things as not that bad, but when we live with sin that is not dealt with, it always comes at a cost. 
when we live with sin that is not dealt with, it always, it always comes with a cost. We can pretend life is rolling along. We can pretend nothing to see here. Things are going pretty well in my life. But Isaiah is letting us know that the Lord is calling us to look deeper. And so we know this, but let me just remind us of the cost that sin has because we become a little less when we use our words and just berate and humiliate another person. That comes with a cost to us. When we are so consumed with others' opinion that we have to become a little less just to gain their approval. Something's going on. That comes with a cost, doesn't it? It comes with a cost. Every time you lie, that costs something. Every time you sleep with someone or fantasize about sleeping with someone, not your spouse, that comes with a cost. Every time you justify your selfish anger, you become a little less. I become a little less. It's definitely not this. Can we agree here? It's not forging you into a better person. It's not doing that. Every time you laugh at a racist joke, every time you make choices out of greed, every time that you get drunk and you get high and you train yourself like this is just the only solution to numb everything else, that comes at a cost. Every time pridefully you set yourself above someone else, Every time I harbor deep resentment and bitterness, every time I cheat, every time I tear someone down behind their back, is that really growing me as a person? Does that just come with no cost at all? You see, you deaden something inside of you. We all do when you choose this path you become a little bit, or maybe we just should say, a lot uglier of a person, if we're honest. God loves us too much to not let us in on reality, what's really going on. Can you see where things take you? And you may not yet be a Christian. You may say, Curtis, I, I don't know that I even believe all the Bible stuff and Jesus stuff. Maybe you're agnostic, I just don't know. You say, ah, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not sure I would classify myself as a religious person. And maybe you hear all this and you say, you know, this is the problem, Curtis, I have with all that is it just seems like people use religion to just heap guilt on people like you're doing today. You, you use religion and it just piles up guilt on people. And, and I will be the first to admit it certainly can do that. We could use religion and it could just like pile up guilt in, in a wrong fashion. But is that, is that our guilt, our shame, where we are becoming less, where we are not growing and flourishing? Is that only the product of religion? Is that the main problem? Or is there something else going on there? Is that really a satisfying answer to just say, oh, it's all about religion? I don't think so. You may think you're fine, but, but really, are you? Isn't there a cost when you sin? Doesn't it hurt others? Doesn't it hurt yourself? I think I think it does, and I believe the Lord is right. And what we need now is to see ourselves accurately. We need to see what our sin can do to us. We, can, we need to see what our sin is doing to us. And we might find ourselves using the same words that the Lord uses here. It's corrupting, it's polluting, it's toxic. 
It's, become, it's making me be the person I didn't want to be. It's destroying me on the inside, and I know it is. So where does that leave us? What do we need to do? It's important for us to realize things are not okay. Then the fact that you're still here and I'm still here means that God has a plan for sinners like us who have the awareness and we realize, okay, life is not okay. And yet, because of God's grace, He shows mercy. He doesn't destroy us. You don't have to listen to me, but I do want you to listen to God. And over and over again, we're reminded, verse 2, the Lord has spoken. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10, give ear to the teaching of our God. Verse 11, verse 18, verse 11, verse 24, the Lord is speaking. The Lord is declaring. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it in verse 20. God has some things to say to us today. And I don't want to run from it. I don't want to turn the volume down on him. I want to listen. As a matter of fact, verse 11, God has more to say. He asked questions that, frankly, are a little bit jarring as I read this and reread it and reread it this week. He goes to Israel and he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? This is the Lord speaking. This is God speaking. He says, I've had enough of the burnt offerings. I don't delight in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. I, I don't need that. When you come to appear before me, who's required of this that you trample my courts? Yeah, bring, bring no more vain offerings. Don't bring that. Incense, it's an abomination to me. Yeah, the, the new moon, the Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assemblies. The, these new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've just become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands, your hands are full of blood. If there are more blunt verses in the Bible, I'm not sure I know where they are. And, and all this, like you go, what is, what is he talking about? What does all this mean? It may not be immediately obvious to you, but stay with us here. Stay in this passage. What is God calling them to account because Isaiah is actually talking about religious observances when he's talking about incense and sacrifices and offerings and festivals. These are things that actually God had told his people to do. He told him in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy to do these things. And now God says, I've had enough. What is it about what they're doing and how they're doing it that God would say, actually, let's just cancel all that. I don't need any more of that. What is, what is God saying here? How can we understand it? When you go to verse 4, you begin to realize they may be doing all these religious observances, but they have forsaken the Lord. But here's the issue. They've despised the Holy One. They're utterly estranged. Not only do we have a tendency to dismiss things as not that bad, but God is calling out our tendency to seek out relationship-free remedies. So we want a remedy, but we don't want to have to deal with a relationship with God. And God is calling that out. Any sort of remedy we find that doesn't deal with our relationship with God, He's calling out. They try to deal with their problem. They try to get their guilt to go away. But they just don't want to get anywhere close to the Lord in this. This is a, it's a heavy word for us today. I wonder if an analogy could be helpful here. Imagine that there is a married couple and the husband imagine that he has really shirked his responsibilities to love his wife and that's not just over like a day that's over over time again and again and again 
He's not, he's not cared for his wife. He's neglected. And the atmosphere is tough. There's virtually no relationship there. But she really wants things to change. She really wants things. Let's, let's say we, we know in her heart, not perfect, but she really wants a relationship to be restored. She really wants communication to happen. She really wants to make things work and, and work on herself, and he has no time for it. But then imagine one day he decides, like, I know what I'll do. I'll, I, I keep hearing from her, like, we want this relationship. Or so I, You know what I'll do? I'll just go out. I'll mow the lawn. I'll help take care of the kids. I'll do the laundry. I'll wash the dishes. And I'll, I'll do that again and again and again and again and again. And when the wife begins to speak about a relationship, he says, I've done some things for you. I've done some things. Haven't, don't you see? I mowed the lawn for you. I, I washed the dishes for you. I've done some things for you. And the wife would have every reason to go, you didn't do those for me. You did those to somehow just for you so you could say this like you've really tried to work on things when really what needs to be worked on is our relationship. I wasn't asking you, of course, doing the dishes, of course, household chores. That could be a loving expression flowing out of a good marriage. But I wasn't asking for that. I don't just want your time and a little bit of energy. I want you. I want what we committed to, what we vowed to. I want that to be something that means something to us. What generally seems appealing in the short term are relationship-free remedies. Some ritual, some remedy, no hassle, no promises. It really doesn't cost us. But that's not why the rituals of Passover and the incense and the offerings, and that's not why those were there. No, they actually were to flow out of a relationship. They were to flow out of a heart of gratitude. So kind of the order seems to be God draws his people out of Egypt and initiates that relationship with them. And then he says, this is how you live with 10 commands, 10 words. This is how you live in light of what I've just done for you. And then after that, you get the sacrifices and the feast and the rituals to reinforce how he wanted us to love him and love our neighbor and to reinforce how we've been drawn out of Egypt and how we don't have to go back to slavery. Oh, the rituals are important, but they, they're in the context of humility and devotion, not just another box to check. You see how we can get so off track. The problem, the problem is in my heart and in your heart, the problem I had decades ago, the problem that I'll still have, the problem as I continue to walk with the Lord is at times my heart grows distant from the Lord and God has moved to close that distance, but it comes through repentance, not through formalities. So what does the Lord want? What does he want from us? He wants a heart that desires change, a full recognition that I have sinned, a, a leaning into it, asking for forgiveness. And if this feels unusually heavy, if you feel like, Curtis, you are, you feel like you're just breaking us down with this passage of uh, sinning and iniquity, and I feel the shame, and I feel the guilt, and I can be reminded of things that I've done wrong, and it feels so heavy. It seems like we've got this great burden. I would say the Lord never breaks us down without giving us the hope and the grace and the offering of building us back up and restoring us. And that's why there's this bold invitation in this passage. Because if I have been laid low in, in humility, recognizing I 
I'm not distant from this passage. I can live in this passage and deceive myself. I can, I can tell myself, things are not that bad. I can go through rituals that maybe will say, God, see, I did that, I did, I did that, and really not get to the heart of my soul. I need to hear this word of invitation from the Lord. In verse 16, a bold invitation where God says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. There's a life, there's a, like a, a rich life, a good life that can come. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Hear God's invitation to you today. He's speaking to you. God says, come now. Let's talk about this. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, though you feel that shame, they can be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing, if you're obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But oh, if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If we're hearing God speak, what do we do? What can we do? We have to realize God is speaking. This is the most important thing in the world right now, that God is speaking to us. We tend to think like the most important thing in the world is maybe going on in a football stadium in an hour or two. Maybe the most important thing in the world is what's happening in Washington or Wall Street or Nashville or Hollywood. Or the most, thing, most important thing in the world is like what's on my newsfeed and what's going on and what people are saying about what's going on. And God says, no, no, no. The most important thing in the world for you might be to recognize that God, the Spirit of Almighty God, is present here. And He has words to say. He's looking into your soul. He's calling out where you are not right. And He's giving you an invitation saying, it doesn't have to be this way. You can come back. You can come clean with God. Keep listening. What is He revealing about you? Do you hear His invitation? Do you believe it? Do you believe there's mercy? Or do you need to just keep running because God's not really that merciful? It seems like it'd be easy to just come clean with God, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I'm stubborn. I don't want to do it. I believe all sorts of lies from the devil, lies my own heart makes up. I think, no, I don't know. I'll just go halfway with this, like coming clean. I'll, I'll repent to things that have already been, or, or confess to things that have already been discovered, but I'm not going to go full because it just would be, I just don't, I don't know that I want to do that. You have, if you're going to come clean with God, you have to really be confident he loves you. You have to be confident he does. You have to be deeply assured that that cross was for you, that he already knew you when he went to the cross anyway, that he loves you. You have to know that deep in your heart. You have to know that in Christ you are, you are accepted as righteous before God. Not your righteousness, his. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have to know that there is new life on the other side. There's productive righteousness. There's deep cleansing. There's purity. It doesn't have to be like this. Like you feel dirty and you feel ashamed, but you can be clean. There's a rescuer who can deal with that. You've sinned your way into bondage. There's a deliverer who can pull you out of that bondage. You're beat up, but you don't have to stay that way. You can be healed. There is a healer. You're far from God, but you can be close because there's a father who has already taken steps towards you who is saying, come, will you come today? Let's talk. What's going to keep you going the opposite direction? It may take a step of faith for you. I'm positive it will. But I want you to hear the words of John the Baptist, one of the first followers of Jesus, that when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. 
That means my sin. That means your sin. That means I don't have to, to cover because God knows anyway. And he says, come. Yeah, what, what is troubling you? What makes you ashamed? What makes you feel guilt? We can deal with that. We can change that. You can be washed. You can be clean. That's what Titus 3 says. Hear these words. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, not when God really wanted to tighten the screws on guilt, but when the goodness and the kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. Notice that word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Not only justified, we become heirs. We have hope of eternal life. The washing of regeneration, life-cleansing, life-starting gift of God through Jesus. You, I'll say this, you don't have to know how the next 10 years or the next 10 days will go to take the first step of repentance to being clean, coming clean with God. You don't, you don't have to know that. It may get really complicated. I, I don't know. What you have to know is there is a God who gives you an invitation. This is come. It's an honest confession to him. This message is so personal. It's personal to me. It's personal to you. In your heart, you have to turn from everything else and trust in him. And this message just sat on me all week. Uh, personally, I've had to think and wrestle through like, is there a way where I'm saying I'm okay and things are not okay? Is there a way where I'm, I, I found something that works for me that kind of removes a little bit of the guilt so I don't have to deal with that, but really makes me not have to deal with God? Is there something in my life? This isn't just a personal message. It's also a community message to us. God is speaking to his people, not just a person. We need, as a church, we need each other to turn deeper to the Lord, to come clean with God. And for some of those reasons, I say the next five to 10 minutes, not to exaggerate, but they could be very, very important to you. Because in the next few minutes, God, you might be hearing from him and you might be tempted in this moment to excuse yourself, to find a reason why, ah, I don't, I'm not sure this all applies to me. And in that moment, you might harden your heart. You could do that. Maybe right now it's sensitive and you're, you're weighing the options of what it would mean, the next step it would mean to come clean with God. You could go to someone and talk about it. You could certainly pray to the Lord. You could send an email asking for help. You could ask for prayer. You could lean into this encounter with Jesus or you could turn your back and walk away and still remain estranged, having turned your back on the offer where God says, let's come clean. There's mercy here. There's restoration here. What will you do with this? What can we as a church do to help? What We'll have people here that will talk with you, that pray. We, we have no magic wands. We have no silver bullets. But we do have a community here that says we want to push each other to love God more. We want to be ready for those that repent. When I repent, I, I know I've got a community around me that says, let's take this to the Lord. He'll forgive. Let's walk with God from now on. Could you, could you let us know if that's going on? Could you let us know how we could help? Don't, don't harden your heart. This series, What We Need Now, is going to take us over the next few weeks in November and December. And the timing isn't 
uh, isn't irrelevant to this. So the Christmas hype has already begun, right? I think I saw on November 1st a Black Friday sale. Like that doesn't even make sense to me, how that could, how that could happen. But everything's gonna tell you, you gotta get ready for Christmas. You gotta, what about presents? What about plans? What about activities? What about family? What about food? What about concerts you're going to? What, what do you need to do to be ready, to be ready, to be ready? And yet what I love every Sunday is for us to say, oh yeah, we need to be ready. But we're gonna be ready in the sense that Christians have been ready as they've celebrated what we call the coming of the Lord Advent. We're gonna prepare our hearts, we're gonna be ready. We're gonna be self-aware of where we are and we're gonna cry out to the Lord and say, we need you, we need your help. We're gonna turn to him, we're not gonna run from him. We're gonna ask the Lord to do a deep work in our hearts, preparing us, preparing us to meet with him. I think these verses in Isaiah are gonna lay track down for us to come to the Lord or maybe come back to the Lord. And when we come back to him, he's faithful. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner than that repents than a bunch of people who don't need that anyway. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, help us. Uh, this, I feel the weight personally. I feel the weight as a church. I feel the weight as your people who are called by your name. And as much as I don't want to stand in the spotlight of of your word and, and feel the uncomfortableness of sin being exposed. I so don't want to run from you, Lord, when you're saying come. I pray that we would not harden our hearts. I pray that the excuses that are even coming to our minds now for dealing really, really significantly with sin, I pray those excuses will seem so flimsy and so dumb. And I pray that we would see a broad path to come back to our Heavenly Father who welcomes us with open arms. May we have a season of restoration and renewal and repentance that we've not had as a while. In a while, Lord, may you, may you do a deep work in our lives. So what we pray is hear our heart. Here's our heart. You know what's going on in it. We pray that we'd be right before you. Thank you, Lord, for grace and mercy that will help us in our time of need. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.